Hey, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, we're going to be talking about how all the big holidays seem to fall around the same time of year. You ever notice that? Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, even one in Vietnam called Tet. Hmm. Talking about traditions up next on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Michigan is set to become the 24th right-to-work state as the measure passed in the state legislature today and now awaits the governor's signature. 10,000 protesters have gathered at the state's Capitol building. At the nation's Capitol, House Speaker John Boehner is speaking publicly for the first time since his meeting with President Obama on Sunday. Boehner says the president is dragging his feet on the fiscal cliff. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has released her top five names to replace outgoing Senator Jim DeMint. Comedy Central News personality Stephen Colbert did not make the cut despite leading public opinion polls. A Florida judge denied a request from George Zimmerman to remove a GPS monitor, which will now remain until Zimmerman's murder trial for killing Trayvon Martin next June. Substantial damage to several buildings and residences in Charleston, Virginia, after a natural gas well exploded earlier today. It's still unclear if anyone is injured. On the world stage, clashes are heating up in Egypt. Nine were injured today when masked gunmen threw gas bombs and opened fire on protesters opposing President Mohamed Morsi. A suicide note from the nurse who supposedly killed herself after connecting two radio pranksters to Kate Middleton's private nurse has been found. So far, no word on what it says. And Nelson Mandela is in the hospital with a lung infection. The 94-year-old former South African president and anti-apartheid activist is currently responding well to treatment. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program every weekday to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives. This can be your handbook to humanity as our goal, right? We want to give you the tools you need to make it through this crazy thing we call life. And we like to bring together experts. We've got a really incredible crew here as I look at them. Um, we're going to wake a few of them up and just give them a little rattle their cage a little bit. Looking at you, Sky Boy. I think the noises you make before you go on air wakes me up every time. What are you talking about? You should make the noises that you make with your mouth like that. I don't know what you're talking about. You know the weird like voice thing he does? Are you, telling off, are you telling off uh, off microphone stories? I am. Okay. <laughs> are we going to go there, Sky Boy? <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Bryce, do you know what he's talking about? Because it seems like he's just making stuff up. He may be, but <laughs> but uh, but it also might be 100% it also true. Might be very true. What happens in the studio stays in the studio it's like unless Vegas. it's on air and then one of us gets fired. Good point. Okay, that's a really good point. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, the voice things, <laughs> because I'm just trying to warm up. Can a guy not warm up? No, he can warm up. It's just funny. Okay. It's just funny. Should we talk about what you do? What do I do, Matt? You crack your knuckles? I don't crack my knuckles. Oh, that's Bryce. <laughs> um, well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is going to be an interesting show because we are going to be bringing on an expert, a professor who understands traditions of the world. And we're going to be talking about holiday traditions 
from all different cultures, all different places, you know, see what we share in common, see what we don't have in common. It seems like in this world, we're always looking for where we're different. And maybe the best thing we can be doing is trying to figure out where we're similar. So we're going to talk about that, those wonderful traditions. Of course, we always like to start the show with what we call human headlines, which is, you know, basically the news and what's going on with humans in the news. Who's got a story for us? Anybody got something fun? Even though the year isn't done, yes, Twitter has released their top trends of 2012. Excellent. And I really like this. Have they done this a lot? Because I've never heard um, of this. I don't know if they did it last year. I'm sure they have. Yeah, I'm sure. It's Twitter. This is just the first time I really cared. <laughs> um, but I, I find this interesting because we talk about you know the top news story of blah, blah, yeah. blah. They talk about that, and I always kind of feels like that's really just them. Or it's just based on like yeah, someone's trying to push a movie. Yeah, with Twitter, I don't like. I don't have to retweet what you do. I don't have to tweet totally, about this. Is yeah, elective? This exactly totally elective. This is like what people are actually caring about. Yes, um, I like it. So some of the biggest ones uh, got the most retweets this year. Gangnam was, style. No, Gangnam style. No. Really? President Obama tweeted a picture of himself and his wife. Uh, and all the all the tweets said was four more years. Got eight hundred and ten thousand retweets. Wow. Just one little picture. Just one. Just one picture and three words. Very See, simple. It's kind of elegant. Yeah. Well, Gangnam Style. That's two that's words. Two words. That is. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he didn't, didn't tweet it. about it. He just. Okay. Yeah. They just they just put that out there. They YouTube exploded. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> that's probably um, a YouTube phenomenon. Which is funny because that's not even on here, but it should be. It should be. It should be. I mean, it's changed how many lives. Um, what, how, how many people watched it? I on mean, I YouTube? started dancing again. Like 900, 900 million. million lives have been changed because of Gangnam Style. I mean, like changed forever. Yeah. They will never go back. It's like the Macarena. Once you've been Gangnam Style. Once you've done Macarena. They, they can't unsee <laughs> that, that music video. Sad, but totally true. Um, other big ones, um, Summer Olympics got a lot of tweets. Yeah. Just there about was a it. lot of activity then. Yeah. There was a lot. Um, what else? There's. Uh, Hurricane Sandy. I got a lot of that tweets. That was bad, except for those areas where there was no tweeting. Right. There were some people who couldn't tweet. Yeah. But it seems like they're doing okay now. Um, so, um, the election. Election. 31 million tweets well, on remember, election like, day. Yeah. During those during their <laughs> debates, there was a lot of tweetage. 10 million during the first presidential debate. Oh, yeah. That's In fact, they said, I was talking, Ben Wagner, he's, yeah. he's he used to work with us. He's doing sports now. He's been banned. Um, he's been banned. Relegated? Relegated is the word, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he said, I was talking to him before election day. He was like, yeah, Twitter's just not usable. They just, everyone just said, if, you're, if you really don't need to pay attention to it, it's going to be a complete mess. So don't worry about it. Hmm. And he said it was a complete mess that Bing. day. Um, other ones, a little blast from the past. There was the death of Whitney Houston. That was a big deal. I got a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, there's also the debates over SOPA and PIPA. Do you remember that? No. The Stop Online Piracy Act and the yes. Protect IP uh, Act. A little bit of that, yeah. yeah. I don't remember that. See that? Now they're digging deep. They are. I think this was... Well, it was about February this year, right? Was that it? Am I crazy? I don't know. It seems like early. a long time ago now. To remember the first if it's more than six months ago, it's like the same as like 15 yeah. years ago. I my usually brain. dump the data in my brain at about June. 
I, well, so I would for say the first of the year, I have dumped that data. <laughs> I would say about six o'clock in the day, because we'll, we'll you have your data, we'll, your daily, <laughs> daily data dumps. After our meeting for the show, just uh, it's all I was gone. I show up the why next you're day. Virtually useless <laughs> all night after that. That's just messed up. That's how it goes. Maybe okay. just do your dump and data dumping later at night, like you know when I don't need something. You know, I'll see what I can do about that, man. Okay. And can you also come with your blood sugar balanced? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be picky. But if we've got to like while, work your blood while sugar, we're airing up to this get you, out. Yeah, I mean, we well, Skyboy started this because he started telling all of our secrets. He did. But you What's came next? today with really low blood sugar, and then you know, when, once we have to resuscitate you <laughs> and stick an EpiPen in your leg, you mean a, a high fructose corn syrup pen? Yes, we just, just put, put a that right in Jolly Rancher <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> just suck on that, little boy. Um, that's cool because I think in the end we're going to make this show work once we figure out all the little quirks of each other. And if you'll just have a sandwich or some candy, we should we should get someone to bring a sandwich for me. I'm gonna bring dinner. We're gonna I'm gonna provide dinner every day. Good job, man. No, not on the air. On the air, we heard it just for a Christmas party. Oh, okay. Like in June. In June. The uh, pre-June Christmas party. Anybody else got news? Well, here's something else that might trend. We'll see if this happens. Um, More. Mothers and daughters, instead of going to the movies or maybe getting manicures together, they're actually getting cosmetic surgery done together. Are you serious? Yeah. Hey, mom, do you want to catch a movie or just get some Botox? Yeah. I I guess that I must imagine that's what the conversation goes like. Me and my mom, we go to movies. We went to one last Saturday. Um, But... Yeah, cosmetic surgery never cosmetic come up. Surgery, maybe yeah. maybe I can suggest you something look now. Younger, <laughs> oh yeah, thank you look you. so much younger. <laughs> it's my cover story. Your is the skin movie. looks so <laughs> soft. Isn't that weird? Because that's what we're doing now. We're together going to go have surgical procedures. Yeah, um, one mother who got this done, she said, is actually really wonderful because her daughter was able to hold her hand um, during the procedure. And then afterwards, they went home and kind of recovered together. So they wow. spent a lot of time just oh. bonding and talking. Cute. Yeah. Seems like you could just go to lunch and bond yeah. and talk. Wait till of... mom gets a little older. You'll be doing this a lot. <laughs> you don't need to start doing surgery. Wow. That's, I mean, just wait for, do some dental work. <laughs> I mean, I've got to go to the doctor too. soon. I'm going to need someone to be with me. Skyboy? I'll come. Will you come? I'll hold your hand. Don't I worry. I know I'm going to have a cavity. Yeah. I can already feel it. Don't forget the recovery period. Also yeah. very important. And bring ice cream. Okay. For the cavity. That'll Don't be good for me. For <laughs> <laughs> bring it for me. Wow. Gosh, Catherine. So that's the future. Yep. That's the future. What are, so what are watch for dads going to do? Ooh. Good question. Hmm. What is the father? Or I guess dads could get surgery together. Tattoos. Tattoos. There, there go. we go. They'll go do tattooing, I guess. <laughs> What's the next? Well, well, if they're going to do surgeries, it'll be like dads and sons will get like knee replacements together. Hey, or that's something. a good one. Yeah. I mean, you know. I already need one of those. Basically. Me too. Yeah. You two could go and get a two <laughs> for yeah. yeah, two for one. Well, <laughs> 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 I need, yeah. Oh, that is just sad. Buy but you know what? What's the other world coming to? I guess, you know, you got to stay close to family. One good way to do it is if they're always in surgical recovery. You always know where they are. They'll be in recovery. Be you got something for us, Skyboy? I boy? do have something. There's a, a Dutchman um, who spent the last 20 years of his life building a rep, uh, full-sized functioning model of Noah's Ark. And oh, that, he, I saw he that. Just that is finished cool. it. That's yeah. yeah, that's neat. And so he took uh, books six through nine in Genesis in the Bible. And he followed the instructions that God gave Noah down to the last cubit. 
Oh, he did? Oh, I mm-hmm. thought that was just – I thought he built the boat and made it look like Noah's Ark. But he actually He, like, followed, followed the instructions the in, the, in the Bible, yeah. And uh, it, in turn, it ends up being 427 feet long, 95 feet across, and 75 feet high. Uh, is, is this guy rich? I, I, I think he's poor. Well, maybe not anymore. <laughs> no, maybe not anymore. Just saying, that's big. That is amazing. I, so it actually adds up. See, that actually blows a myth that men can't read um, manuals. You know what I mean? True. That says that blows it up right there. Of course they he can. did. He did add his own little touches, though. He put a restaurant on the top level and a movie theater. I'm pretty sure Noah didn't people. have that. <laughs> I don't think Noah had that. <laughs> there we go. I think that just went right back. There was the manual, and he was like, about that um, restaurant He's and a movie theater. A really, that's just what I'm theater. thinking. You know, that's interesting, but that says a lot. That took a lot of time and money. and 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. Wow. That's, that's basically my life. Now, how long did it take Noah to build it? I have no idea. Hmm. I bet it was less than 20 years. Probably. He also didn't have a theater. Yeah. Yeah. No theater, so. Is it 3D? Would it be 3D? I'm sure it's 3D. Right? I mean, if you're going to build an arc. And put a movie theater in it. Yeah. Of course, you'd waste the money and put 3D in it. Now, Rob told us a joke. Does anybody remember it? I do. Okay. You want to share it with us? Because oh, I no. can't remember no, it. No, you can't. I really can't. I just can't remember no. it. No. It was, I actually want you to take the fall. So no, okay. I just I don't. It was it wasn't funny at all. And it was now I name. can't remember it. Noah had a last name. I don't know. Noah the Ark. The Ark. <laughs> I don't remember. I will get it. Uh, we'll get it when he gets it. I really thought you knew it, but um, okay. Here's one for you. You ready for this? Because I think this is totally true. Um, apparently, rudeness is the new normal. And oh well, I know. I mean, it's always been your normal. <laughs> really. <laughs> Rudeness is the new normal. Before, we used to think people would be civil and nice. But apparently, based on some new research, they're finding out that a lot of Americans think that what is normal is incivility. Do you buy that? You obviously do. Incivility, how exactly? Let's get into that. Okay. Uh, So if I told you that 82% of the Americans believe that the media are more interested in controversy than facts and that 62% find the media's tone uncivil – would you be surprised? It seems a little high, but not that surprising. 62. So 38% of the country thinks the media is being civil. 30, 68% not so much. 32%, sorry. Or 38% uncivil. Listen to this. Two-thirds of Americans are tuning out political advertising. 54% are tuning out election coverage. Nearly 7 in 10 Americans have lost their hope that our political parties can discuss matters civilly. Only 17% of Americans have not experienced uncivil behavior in their own lives. Guess where they experience uncivil behavior the most? Work? Uh, no. Driving, 60%. Uh, yeah. And shopping, 49%. Actually, yeah, that makes a lot of Especially sense. Especially right sense. now. Some 34% of us experience uncivil behavior at work. So work's only, you know, a third of us to see it there. We a lot, All of us see it there, so that's 100% of us. Well, from you, Matt. Shut up. I'm just kidding. Don't make me come over <laughs> this table. I'll get you. Okay, we were just acting out in civility. Um, uh, 28% of us have to deal with it in our immediate neighborhood. Now, this is a study. Weber Shandwick and Powell Tate, in partnership with KRC Research, are going to release this survey called Civility in America 2012. And basically what they found is that the majority of Americans say incivility will get worse in America. Now, guess who bears the brunt of it? Guess where it's focused? Who would you blame for incivility? Politicians. 
63% say politicians are to blame. 57% say government officials are to blame. 57% say the economy. 55% say America's youth. So we just like to complain about the economy and politicians, and now we found a new way to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Exactly. 50% say the media are to blame. 42% are the celebrities. 42% are corporate America. 38% say internet and social media. 29% say sports figures. 23% say those blasted cell phones. And 21% Twitter. Hmm? I can see the internet... I, because with being totally anonymous and you can say whatever you want, I could see it very quickly becoming a habit to kind of just say what you're thinking about someone yeah. and then realize, oh, I'm oh, not on the internet. That oh, I shouldn't mm. be that rude. Rudeness, then, is the new normal, they're finding out. One year ago, 33% of Americans accepted incivility as an inherent part of the political process. But this year, that figure has risen to 40%. So in one year, that's a 21% increase in just one year. It's a big deal. Thus, the shock value of contentious and uncivil discourse may be wearing off, the survey concludes. Some 44% of Americans say they ended a friendship or other relationships because of rudeness. 39% said they defriended or blocked someone online. Look, because we can. Before, you just had to put up with these people. You're right. You had to see them everywhere. Now You, you had to just... call them aunt. An uncle. Exactly. <laughs> now you can just unfriend them. 23% said they'd quit their job. 13% said they were they moved their residence because of these people. Okay, that, that seems a little extreme. Hmm. Anyway, it's the new norm. Get used to it, okay? Deal with it, Sky Boy. That was kind of rude. Again, it's I'm acting rude. out a little uncivil behavior. I'm sorry about that, Sky. Whatever, man. You are wonderful. Whatever. Today you brought beverages for the team. Yeah. Right? Well, you actually stole them from the company party. And that was really Which hard. Which I, I think that's kind of uncivil as well. Which I think was a hypothetical because we're not saying. I only did it because of peer you. pressure. You guys pressured me. Oh, see? You're blaming it on that. <laughs> more like we asked and gave you tips and tricks on how to do it more effectively. Do you and remember now I we're pled, throwing you under I the bus. I begged you, don't go still, Sprite. <laughs> and then Catherine's like, no, I'll go with him and I'll give him cover. <sighs> we're in trouble. Did I just say that on the air? Just admitted our crimes on air. Let's just also admit that I didn't touch any of the food or beverage. Did you not? I was doing a pre show fast. I always like to be free from any toxins when I do the show. Mm. And then on the way home, I just remember totally that one time I up. bought you all that vending machine food. Wasn't that right before the show? Anyway, we're going to wrap it up now. <laughs> Appreciate that, Sky Boy, and everything. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. But as the host of the show, we're going to move this thing right along. When we come back, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about holiday traditions. We're also going to be bringing on uh, Dr. David Dollahite, who is an expert, a BYU professor in uh, religion, and he's going to teach us about the different traditions from all different religions, different diverse groups, how they celebrate their holidays, and the power and importance of our traditions. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. In the future, you won't wear contacts to look good, but to see fantastic new sights. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Mobile phones have great screens, though they're still kind of small. Now imagine if your phone or game could project a 240-inch diagonal high-def 3D image over anything you can see in the real world. 
Such a device was demonstrated at the Consumer Electronics Show by a company called Innovega. Their research, funded by DARPA and the National Science Foundation, found a way around the main problem with current eyeglass-style VR goggles. Our eyes can't focus close enough to work with current eyeglass video displays. But Innovega uses a special contact lens as part of the setup. You still wear a light eyeglass frame. Then the contact lens refocuses a projection beam into your eye, creating the illusion of something like real-time IMAX movies floating in front of you, and you can still see the real world normally the entire time. Some of the applications are obvious for military pilots and soldiers, but the company is also looking to commercialize the system for entertainment, the disabled, and other civilian uses in what experts often call an augmented reality system. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. But welcome back to the program. Today we are talking about Christmas a bit. We're talking about traditions. And uh, we're bringing on Catherine with us. Catherine, you have been doing some incredible research about Papa Noel. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can Santa call him that. Claus. Santa Claus. Now, I didn't want to, I told you a little bit about this, but this is a true story. So when I was a kid, I had some doubts if Santa was real or not. I mean, a lot of times that gets, you know, passed around the, the grade school yard. But on Christmas Day, I heard bells at my house. Hey. Like real bells. Silver bells. And um, that morning, I went out, and on my roof of my house, I saw boot prints, hoof prints, and sleigh marks. He's real. Did you go tell the kids at school that? Totally. Good. They beat me up. Oh. Those were rude kids back then. <laughs> they beat me up, those kids. No, but so right then I knew either that and or someone would have had to have been on my roof. And, hello, we don't even have a ladder. So I can, I can prove Santa lives. Now, you tell me the history. Okay, I'll give you the background about how Santa came to be. Because he didn't start out our jolly old St. Nicholas that we always picture, you know, the fat guy. Like the um, Homer Simpson Rosy kind of, yeah. cheeks. Yeah, He no. didn't start that way. He didn't start that way. Was he like a, like a waif? Was he like a, a gaunt... No. Skinny little. He was skinny, though. Was he? Okay. Still had Tell the white beard. This. Really? So um, one of the earliest versions, I guess, of Santa Claus is this um, man called um, St. Nikolaus. And he comes from Germany. And he um, is a You even a said Catholic. that with a little German accent. Thanks. There. That was very good. <laughs> um, he is a Catholic um, bishop, and he's kindly. And um, the tradition goes in Germany that on December 6th, so St. Nicholas comes early there. Yeah. Um, on December 6th, um, he comes and he leaves goodies for all those children who are good. And the children prepare, of course. They um, clean the house in preparation of St. Nicholas coming and they, they shine their shoes and they leave their shoes out in front of their door. And yes, then St. Nicholas yeah. comes and fills them with goodies. He looks at his little roster, so his list, mm-hmm. to see if they've been good, look at their deeds that they've done throughout the year. And then he says, yes, these children are good. Why the shoes? I mean – it doesn't seem hygienic. It doesn't seem healthy. I think it's because it's one of those good deeds children always needed to do. They needed to they shine, needed their, to shine shoes. their shoes. That's cool. 
So it started that way. Yeah, so it started that way. In fact, one thing that I really like, he actually had a friend, a servant, who would follow him. And if you were a bad child, the servant had a sack and a... um, like a stick, a rod. And if you were a bad child, you were pulled out of bed, put in the sack, and hit with the (laughs) stick. So our Santa's rather nicer. Ours, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's just all the new laws. (laughs) It must be. You can't, I mean, child law, yeah, you don't want to abuse kids. (laughs) But I mean, hey. A sack and a stick. A sack Hmm. and a stick. So any parents out there wondering, that's one Santa. Yeah, that's one teach. version of Santa. You know, you can always warn your kids, St. Nicholas will come. That's good. Um, but there also is um, English roots in our Santa Claus. There is a longstanding English tradition about gift giving to celebrate the new year um, and to kind of be grateful for the people in your life. And people would exchange gifts and um, share compliments and get together and help others and to help them think about um, Christ and and their devotion to the gift that he was in coming into the world. And so these traditions kind of merged the gift giving and um, St. Nicholas into what Jolly we have. old St. Nick. Yeah, jolly old St. Nicholas. And then he apparently put on some weight. Yeah, he put on some weight, you know. Where'd the red get come with from? the times. Do you know? Um, I actually don't know where the red came from. I know St. Nicholas, it's very Catholic to have okay. red clothing, but... Somebody just said Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. There Tyler, you go. Our Commercialism. Gus, I can believe that as well. Uh, Coca-Cola. What if it had been Pepsi? <laughs> blue. Red and blue. <laughs> Interesting stuff. And uh, we've just picked it up since there, and now we've just kind of... Now we have elves on shelves. Did yep. you have that growing up? Elf on Shelf? Have you ever heard of the Elf on the Shelf? No. Well, there's a book out there called The Elf on the Shelf. And Santa has a helper that's an elf. And now the elf can sit there and watch the kids. So we've uh-huh. got, like, line of sight. So now, and he can, if he needs to, he can, I guess, bring in the guy that puts him in a bag and beats him. <laughs> or he can give him presents. So you haven't heard of Elf on the Shelf? We have an no. elf at our house. It is the coolest thing. Cute little elf. Kind of freaky because he looks really very real but kind of scary. But um, he's a tiny little elf, and he just works his way through our house at night and during the day. Sometimes he'll appear in the kids' room. Sometimes he'll bring a treat. Sometimes he'll hide. Sometimes he won't move for three or four days. Apparently, um, you know, he gets sleepy for a while. (laughs) And he then watches the kids, and our kids, like, are always, like, they're trying to find him all the time. And it's just a great way that we can make sure our kids keep moving. That's really cool. We just go with the old snowball trick. What's that? Santa can see you because he has magic and he can look at you through a snowball. And because there's lots of snow at the North Pole, you never know when he's that watching. That is a cool idea, except for the fact that he also has a bag and a pole. Because <laughs> they've got some creeper watching you with a bag and a pole. That's probably why the elf came That's up. why you want to be on his good list. See? And then there's the coal, right? And uh, Bryce taught us yesterday that's because there's coal in fireplaces back when they used to burn coal. See, the goal of the show is to make sure you're educated and informed about who's going to be entering your house, your house on, the, on Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> so appreciate that, Catherine. Good stuff. That's why we also wanted to bring on uh, Dr. David Dollahite, who's going to be joining us after this break. He's a BYU professor for family life, author of the book Successful Marriages and Families. He's also going to be talking to us about traditions. 
and we're going to try to get into some of the traditions uh, celebrated by other faiths, the important of these tra- importance of these traditions, how they impact our lives over time, and hopefully help you create even better holiday traditions for you and your family. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right here on the Matt Townsend Show, right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have you ever wanted to travel the world? Now you can experience the vibrant cultures and customs of countries across the globe and cities across America through the eyes and ears of folk artist Eric Dowdle. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle and travel the world weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. House Speaker John Boehner says he's hopeful and confident that he and President Obama will reach a deal to avoid the fiscal cliff, but offered no evidence of progress in a public address earlier today. Police were forced to pepper spray troublemakers to defuse angry protesters outside the Michigan Capitol building today after the state legislature passed a measure to make Michigan the 24th right-to-work state. Accused killer George Zimmerman was denied his request to have a GPS monitor removed, which would have let him move freely around the state until his trial next June. The Treasury Department is selling off their remaining stake in AIG, which was 92% owned by the government at the beginning of last year. Combined government agencies earned over $22 billion off the bailout aid. Substantial damage to several buildings and residences in Charleston, Virginia, after a natural gas well exploded earlier today. It's still unclear if anyone is injured. Clashes are heating up in Egypt. Nine were injured today when masked gunmen threw gas bombs and opened fire on protesters opposing President Mohamed Morsi. A suicide note has been found from the nurse who supposedly killed herself after connecting two radio pranksters to Kate Middleton's private nurse. So far, no word on what it says. Nelson Mandela is in the hospital with a lung infection. The 94-year-old former South African president and anti-apartheid activist is currently responding well to treatment. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about the holidays, traditions, the importance of these traditions. And, you know, everyone has heard of the religious holidays such as Hanukkah, Ramadan, Kwanzaa. But how much do we really know about these important religious events? Happy holidays. We've all been hearing that since about October, depending on where you're from. But how many holidays are there actually around this time of year? I decided to go and ask people what they knew about Hanukkah, Ramadan, and Kwanzaa. 
First of all, what is Hanukkah? Uh, the Jewish religion. I think they have like 12 days of Hanukkah, and okay. they have um, menorah, I think is what it's called. Okay. Hanukkah is Jewish. Something about a menorah, and it kept burning even though they were out of fuel or something. That is a Jewish holiday. There were, I remember pigs being involved. <laughs> Um, usually there's like little gifts each day. It's a Jewish holiday. I'm not really sure where it comes from. I know that it celebrates like the Passover. I'm pretty sure <laughs> they have the menorah and they light it and it lasts for a lot longer than Christmas. I'm not sure exactly how many days maybe eleven. I don't know a lot. I know that they have candles, right? Twelve days. Okay. They take every day they light a candle for each day of Hanukkah. That's pretty much all I know about it. But Hanukkah is the easy one. Everybody knows about Hanukkah from elementary school. The next one is a little more difficult. What is Kwanzaa? I believe it's... I believe it's Muslim, but I'm not positive. Um, I know it's traditionally from Africa. At least with my friends back home, they dress in authentic African to their tribe or whatever dressing. I know it's African. Okay. That's about all I know. Okay, that's an African holiday, supposedly. I think it's like the 26th of December or something. Or I feel like it's just a, a feel-good holiday about peace. Uh, it's an African holiday, isn't it? Okay. It's actually Kwanzaa. Um, it's from Africa. That's it. I think they have a little candle thing, too, I think, maybe. And I'm picturing in my head, like, really colorful costumes. I think it's in December. Maybe it's about Christ. Now for the tricky one. Ramadan. What do you know about it? I have no idea. Um, it comes from Bangladesh. Bangladesh. <laughs> okay. And um, they don't have religion in Bangladesh anyway, so there's oh, okay. no religion behind that. Okay. There's lots of uh, face painting and um, bonfires. Okay. Any sacred objects or any objects in general? Um, I'm sure there's probably some kind of golden cow. Oh, that's another Jewish one, right? The Muslim tradition. It's like a 30-day fast from sunrise to sunset. I'm not sure why they do it except like to be more spiritual, I guess. Oh, it come. Oh, man. I celebrated this in my Egyptian class, my ancient Near Egypt class. Okay. I don't know, but I know they fast, and they fast all day, but when the sun's down, they can eat. This next guy looked like a pretty interesting and intelligent fellow, so I decided to ask him what he knew about Ramadan. Ramadan is uh, from the ancient Middle East. It's um, a great holiday, and uh, it's when they they uh, celebrate the birthday of their seven different gods, and... Uh, that's, that's close. Yeah, that's close. so... But it, and the traditional food is a very dry bread that they, that they eat on that holiday. Okay, so maybe he's not exactly the authority on Ramadan. And maybe not any other religious holiday either. But that doesn't matter. The point is that this time of year, it's a good time that we can all come together. I wish everyone here a happy holidays, no matter what you decide to celebrate. 
Good stuff. Now, this was, it's funny because if you're out there listening, you might think some of those answers were totally accurate. But if you're sitting here with a professor that understands these traditions, who laughs through most of this piece, uh, you would understand that that's not accurate. We're, we're here joined with Dr. David Dollahite, who's a BYU professor of, for family life. He's also the author of Successful Marriages and Family. And you're going to help us understand this, David. What? Okay. First of all, we have all these different traditions, right? Right. Uh, just maybe give us a clue on each one of them, because we asked the question about, uh, um, and, and I don't know that you'll know every one of these, but Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Ramadan, Christmas. Well, Ramadan is a month of fasting where Muslims fast from sun up to sundown each day, and then they can eat before sunrise and after sundown uh, with big feasting in the family and in the community going on. Uh, Hanukkah is Festival of Lights, where Jewish families, uh, it's actually happening right now, yeah. um, are, uh, they light uh, candles um, once, uh, well, for eight days, uh, light a candle to uh, remember a miracle that took place in ancient times. And uh, Christmas, of course, is very widely known, celebrating the birth of Christ. Uh, Kwanzaa, I don't know so much about, other than it's an African uh, holiday that many African-Americans uh, practice. Actually, not many, but some yeah, do. It's, it's kind of uh, new. I mean, it's, yeah. it's new to America, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's not widely practiced. Yeah. Uh, most most uh, most African-Americans are either Muslims or Christians. So, so tell me about this, because the traditions are everywhere, right? So there's some, there's some, and these, a lot of these, in fact, I think Ramadan's in the middle of the year, but what is it about traditions? It seems like they kind of go together. Food, tradition, <laughs> lights, and family. Yeah. Ramadan actually is uh, it goes throughout the year because it's the uh, Islamic calendar is a, a lunar calendar, okay. so it actually moves through. So it's much more difficult to fast uh, sunrise to sundown in the middle of summer than it is in the middle of winter. Yeah, right? true. Yeah, uh, most of these things do involve family, faith, and food, and you put those three things together, and good things typically happen. That's the that's as long the... as the family is being respectful of each other and relationships, and and so you know for most people they're. Uh, f- f- home and family-oriented faith traditions are very positive, mm-hmm. uh, very good. Sadly, in some cases, uh, that's not the case. There's a, you know, a bitterness and resentment that goes. And then on. it brings all the pain up, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So for some, for some people, holidays are difficult times. For most people, they're they're full of joy and and nostalgia and and, and good bonding kinds of things. So traditions have a, have an ability to help people feel a sense of belonging to each other. When Mm -hmm. you do a a ritual together with any group of people, no matter what it is, if you do something consistently over time, uh, that tends to build up greater connections between those people. So it's a sense of belonging. It also tends to um, emphasize, it tends to magnify belief. And so when, when kids see that parents do something every day, Let's say yeah. grace at meals, or every week, let's say family home evening, or um, light Shabbat candles for Jewish families, uh, or do something you know, every year, Christmas, right. um, et cetera. When kids see that, you know, day after day, week after week, year after year, that uh, has a, a real um, tendency to um, it helps them realize how important it is to their parents. If something happens once in a while, interesting. So ah. that's how you hand down. I mean, it's it's solidifying the family, but it's also solidifying these people in their faith set, their belief set, and um, and it's also it's interesting too because so faith is strengthened, family is strengthened because we're all hanging out together doing this, um, and, and I guess in the end it's also how we pass the tradition down. It's how we keep a link to the next generation. Exactly, yeah. Um, family religious traditions and rituals are. 
incredibly powerful in connecting generations uh, in a lot of ways. And and you know, for most families that are you know functioning fairly well, they're 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 getting along fairly well. There's not a lot of uh, of um, you know, abuse or or sort of uh, rigidities going on. Um, then, in fact, you know what most people say is. You know, the things at church and mosque and synagogue that they learned, that they saw, those are powerful. But the things that take place in the home, mm-hmm. for Jewish families, um, you know, lighting Shabbat candles each week, uh, doing Passover every year, um, lighting Hanukkah candles in their home is much more powerful than what happens at the synagogue. Yeah, um, that so. seems like that's that's kind of should be the case, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like this is what brings it all home instead of it being some just theoretical thing. Now, you know, you've studied the concept of tradition deeply. This isn't just you – just, you've studied this. Well, my colleague Lauren Marks and I have interviewed about 200 families across the country, uh, highly religious families, uh, several hours um, with each family, interviewing them about how their faith influences their family, kind of what you know what's going on there. And so, yeah, we've studied it and published a lot of you know, articles and, and chapters about um, – the impact of you know a lot of things about religion, tradition and, and ritual is one of those things. You know, we've studied yeah. a whole range of issues. So, yeah, and I've actually got some quotes from families that we've interviewed that uh, you know I'd love to read. Yeah, and, read and some. It talks about how you know how important these things are. This so, is the impact of a tradition on this person. Yeah. So here's one: Ramadan. Uh, a Muslim family, a Muslim father, Ibrahim, says this. In addition to prayer and scripture, we cherish the month month long fast of Ramadan. Because we can do many things together as a family. We wake up in the middle of the night. We sit together. We eat together. We pray together. It's a very, very good experience for us. The month of Ramadan has been prescribed to us where every Muslim is supposed to fast from dawn to sunset. So what we do is we get up early, very early in the morning, and we have a meal together. Then after the meal, we read the Quran, our scripture. After we do that, it's time for prayer. We pray together. In the evening during breaking of the fast, again, the same thing happens as during the morning. We all come together as a family. We eat together. We thank God together. We pray together. We break the fast. So the whole month of Ramadan is a unique experience. We do a lot less of the worldly things, a lot more of godly things than we normally do. And especially when you do these kinds of things together every day, it tends to bring people together and strengthen our beliefs and family. So wow. he, he captures really well yeah. uh, you know, what the power of ritual for family life. That's, I mean, that's exactly what it's – that's the ideal. That's why we do that's why that's the end result we'd all want. Exactly. And yet we kind of miss that at the season, don't we? Well, sadly, uh, commercialization uh, and busyness and stress uh, tend to take away from from the sort of the you know the happy spirit. But what's interesting is that, you know our research and other people's research finds that at the times when life is most difficult, most stressful, most crazy and hectic, that's the very time that you need to slow down and perform rituals. The next one I'll read you, yeah. which we may need to do after the break, is let's do it right now. Okay. We'll do it and then we'll so this take is a, a Jewish mother talking about um, lighting Shabbat candles each week. When we take the time out, we light the candles each Friday night, that's a time that I feel really close to my children. It's a chance for everyone to sit down and breathe and think about these things before we get to to eating. I think that it's healthy for one thing, and it's nice that everyone isn't running off in their own direction. We all sit down and calm down and say the blessing and then start together. There's a sense of ritual that I think the kids love. And we still love as adults things that we do that have been done for generations and generations. It is a chance to breathe, to relax. I think, okay, we've had a busy week, and here's our time to be together. And we always take a deep breath before we do this and let all the thoughts, craziness, and worries and everything slip away, 
and we say the blessing. After we say the blessing, it's welcome in the Sabbath, which is a meaning has a meaning of its own. Then afterwards, I always say a prayer of thanks for my children. We don't do any work. It's a time given to relaxation and being together. When we sit across the table from each other, my husband and I, the Sabbath candles are lit. I see the kids. There is something I get from that that is so deep. It's just a feeling that all is right in the world. It doesn't matter what else is going on. Right in that circle, it's awe-inspiring. Oh, wow. Sacred. Powerful, sacred. Resting is obviously very important for Jewish families. Um, Getting together away from everything out there, all the stuff that's pulling individuals off in different directions, is clattering their heads and thoughts, and get together around the, the, the family dinner table and do something of meaning, of depth, of power, of rest, of joy, and it makes all the difference in the world. Wow. That's – honestly, that's why I wanted this because we need this. So if you're sitting there listening, yeah, that's not like our Christmas or that's not like our Hanukkah, then listen up. We're going to take a break. Uh, we're talking to Dr. David Dalahite, BYU professor for family life, author of the book Successful Marriages and Family. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Dr. Dalahite to give us some ideas for what we should be doing. To, to kind of sharpen up our traditions, make sure that we do find some moments of peace, some, some, some ritual faith building maybe, and uh, some way to connect to our family. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back right after this break right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The key to protecting a NASA facility from a hurricane turns out to be its own scientific data. And now it protects places across the country. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. For managing the responses to a natural or man-made disaster, authorities need situational awareness, the ability to know where key assets and objectives are, and a way to make fast, accurate decisions for rescue and recovery. The real-time emergency action coordination tool, called REACT, was born from the NASA Stennis Space Center's emergency response to Hurricane Katrina. Large natural disasters can make landmarks unrecognizable, even to local responders, and a large-scale event can be difficult for responders to fully interpret. REACT, which was developed by Envision Solutions in collaboration with NASA Stennis Space Center, knits together comprehensive geospatial information from satellite data and coordinates it with a wealth of databases and a real-time reporting and tracking system into a common display and interactive reference of maps, charts, and lists. The tool gives emergency responders immediate awareness of their resources at any given time. REACT is now being used by National Guard units, local governments, and every NASA field center. And it's also making its mark as an anti-terrorism planning and response tool. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Keep up to date with BYU Radio's programming by liking BYU Radio on Facebook. You can check our page for BYU sports updates and information on our entertainment programming. Like us on Facebook at BYU Radio. Talk about good. Yeah. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking with Professor David Dollahyde, a BYU professor um, for family life here at Brigham Young University. He's the author of the book Successful Marriages and Family, and he's teaching us the importance of traditions and how they can unite us in faith, in family, and what was the other one? Fun? Well, fun, food. <laughs> food! Yes, you got to have fun. Food. But what are, okay, so there's, I'm sure there's people out there driving home, had a rough day, realizing that, yeah, we have Christmas, but we don't really have the great connected traditions or rituals. Um, what, what are some of the tricks, the tools, the ideas, not tricks, but ideas to make sure that a tradition sets? works. Well, the first thing is not to have too high of expectations. The, the two quotes I just read, you know, people are talking about, you know, really idyllic situations, wonderful. The reality is for most of us, most of the time when we do these things, they're not profound. They're right. not otherworldly. They're just what we do. And when we do something regularly, then there's the possibility for profound things to happen. But you have to be pragmatic yeah. and do it each day and, and sort of, or each week or each, you know, yeah. whatever. And then um, you hope for, you might pray for uh, those sort of moments of transcendence to occur. But don't be upset if your kids are right. not understanding, they're making noise. or you know, That's normal. That's natural. That's yeah. fine. That's healthy. Uh, and, you know, often it's the age uh, that your kids are at and, and, and the temperaments of your kids. And, you know, when we had four little girls at home, our family home evening, our, our weekly gatherings were calm and, and nice and sweet. Yeah. Uh, now that we have four little boys, well, teenage boys, uh, a little bit less yeah, so. Yeah, everyone's little, throwing little balls different. around. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so you know, there, there's a number of things, but one of them is to sort of balance two, um, not opposite things, but two different things. One is tradition and one is transformation. Hmm. So tradition means that you establish patterns, you, you work, and, and it takes work and effort and planning to make traditions happen. They don't just naturally happen. Yeah. You, you've got to be intentional about it. So you work hard to get the tradition established. Then you also balance that with transformation. You have to realize the ages of your kids. Right. As They're going to change evolve. as you yeah. move. You, you can't do – some of the things will stay the same. You know, for, for Jewish families, lighting Shabbat candles, that's the consistency. But exactly how it's done, exactly, you know, uh, exactly what happens before and after that will change over time. Right. So, so being um, you know, uh, firm about establishing traditions but flexible about making sure that you don't um, – that, that you're um, – Zealousness to do the tradition doesn't translate into rigidity that that offends. That and, seems and like where people. the problem lies, huh? In just we get too hung up on one or the other, like either not doing it because the transformation it's too hard. We, we've outgrown it, or we do it so rigidly that we turn everyone off and no one wants to do it. That's exactly right, and, and so in a sense, it's it's balancing. Ritual and relationship. So the ritual part, you know, that's the tradition. Right. That, that's the regularity. That that's the being committed to something enough that you that everyone works hard to be there. You get you get home from work. You come home from school. You, you put down the the, the computer. You, you go away from the homework. You do whatever. You know, each individual leaves what they're doing to come together as a family to do the ritual, and and you have to be committed to that. But then you also have to remember relationships. Yeah, right. That you don't yell at your kids to get them to get hurry up and get here for family prayer. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't be, uh, be angry and and impatient with people as you're sort of setting up for and doing things. You understand that there's relationships. These are human beings that you're dealing with, and you can't yeah. sort of expect things to be hallmark card picture perfect in every case. Right. Uh, and and uh, you know our research shows that those families in which they sort of have 
a, a real strong commitment to ritual and tradition, but also a healthy understanding of the need for focus on relationship, willingness to change. Those families tend to to develop a set of traditions and rituals over time that make a real difference in their family. It seems like countries are the same way. I mean, if the country had rituals, traditions that we would hold fast to and be dynamic enough to allow new people, other people into these traditions, it seems like it's core to growing a culture and a people. Yeah, I think so. You know, my focus is family life, and so I, I don't think a lot about you know big things like cultures. Uh, other people do that. I focus on how because it's hard enough. Yeah, to get family, families, let alone to your get traditions. marriage. Yeah, exactly. Just you two. Yeah. So let me read you uh, from a Methodist father talking about uh, grace before meals, which is uh, our research shows it's the most often practiced and one of the most meaningful rituals mm. is is you know grace before evening uh, evening meal. Uh, Methodist Father says, uh, one meaningful practice for our family is grace before meals, trying to have a moment in every day where we gather together as a family and start it with a blessing. It's really important to us. We have very busy children, and we're very busy, so it's really a priority to us to keep that family time there and start the family time with a blessing. Uh, That's not easy to do anymore. People are very busy. Many families don't take time to have a sit-down meal each day. I mean, even the meal's a tradition, right? I mean, having the meal is a tradition. That itself is a tradition. Adding grace to it is just adding icing on the cake or just adding a sense of the sacred to it makes it even more powerful. And and food is huge. When you have have good food, I mean, people want to eat eat good food. Yeah, so you draw people to it. And every holiday that I'm aware of, every family-based religious holiday, um, has some type of special, symbolic, good foods associated with it, and that's part of what is the anticipation. Oh, you're, you're cooking the stuff, you're smelling it, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're you're seeing the stuff, and so that's a really important thing to sort of, um, and and that's in a sense that's being sensitive to to human need. Yeah, so people need to eat. And uh, and so you know Passover is a great example of of a you know a long family ritual. It takes a couple of hours. Some I've been at uh, I've been at Passovers uh, to take five or six hours. Really, but when you mix food in there, yeah, throughout, and then the ritual and, and the telling of the stories and the singing mm. and uh, other things. Uh, that just sort of makes it, you know, and our family does something. We do sort of a Mormon version of the Jewish Passover where we tell the Mormon, you know, stories and events. And it takes a couple hours and, and we have food all the way through. We get up, we stand up, we sing, we do things. So it's kind of a lively, enjoyable, yeah, fun, familial thing with faith and family and food at the heart of it. Love that. That's Okay, so as we think of Christmas, what if, I, if there's a parent out there wondering like, oh, yeah, well, we open presents. And we have a breakfast. I mean, what are some things they should be doing? What else should – I mean, balance kind of the technical side with the relationship side. What else should they be doing? Well, many families find uh, it's it's easy for the commercial uh, sort of the the gift – aspect of Christmas. And I grew up in a family where we didn't really do anything of a religious nature. It was all about the gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family I'm in now and many families that I've observed, many that we've interviewed, you, you got to find a way to work a sacred thing in there. So for many families, Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, they might tell or reenact the Christmas story out, right. of, out of the Bible. There's lots of books, that, that, you know, children's oriented books that are, that are fun. You know, in our family, we love to act out. We have clothes and we sort of, you know, yeah. re- read and then have people sort of, you know, one person's the angel, yeah. one person's the shepherd. You know, and that's really fun for the kids. So, you know, you're trying to be sensitive to the kids and, and their, you know, sort of um, needs. And so, you know, finding a way, even if it's five minutes, to bring in a sacred aspect and you can start small. And most kids really enjoy that. Now, if you wait until they're teenagers, it's it's going to be a lot tougher. If you start when they're young, 
Uh, most kids really enjoy religious ritual, and as many of our uh, families that we interviewed uh, told us. Um, for, you know, sometimes parents get forgetful, they get lazy, and they, they forget to do something. And the kids right. would come and say, hey, aren't we going to light sh- Shabbat candles tonight? You know, aren't we going to do Femme Homie? Aren't we going to do, you know, Grace? You know? Yeah. And, and so kids, once it's established, kids will kind of help it. Yeah, they'll – yeah. They'll uh, they'll follow the line, I guess. Once we're into it, what as we're wrapping it up, what what else? Like, what's the one or two things that really are core to the tradition uh, in your mind, and just in your celebration? You've done this with your family. What really has made a difference? Um, well, in Christmas in particular, I think the core thing is telling the story, uh, the miraculous, amazing, incredible. Interesting, fascinating, uh, ancient story of the birth of the Savior and all that goes with that. And finding a way to tell that story in a way that's interesting, that's meaningful, that's, um, it, again, even if it's brief, right? it's doing it in a way that, that brings, at least for a little while, a transcendent, sacred aspect. And, you know, gift-giving and eating food, all that's great and fine yeah. and wonderful— um, but if you can be intentional about trying to bring in a sacred, spiritual, religious element to that, and, you know, and, and the Christmas story does that. All you have to do is oh, read yeah. it, and, and it does that. And so basically it's a commitment to um, being willing to do it, even if kids moan, even if kids, <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever. Right. The kids, that's good. This is important to us. It. We're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And most of the time kids will, when you realize it, when they realize that you're committed, uh, then, then they'll. Uh, you know, my, how much time do we have? About a minute. Okay. In my wife's family, um, they sort of spread out the gift giving over a long period of time, and there's a lot of sharing of appreciation during. It. In my own family, you know, growing up, it was kind of attack the presents. Get it get done. <laughs> uh, and so, in our own family, we sort of you know do a hybrid of that. And so, an important thing is. Um, balancing between the husbands Excellent. and yeah. the wives' traditions, finding a, finding a uh, sort of a compromise or, or a new way to do things that you know that, that both are, are happy with, uh, and then you know transformation, being willing to be sensitive to the kids, ask the kids I what what they like, what works for them, and so it's not they don't feel like it's imposed upon mm-hmm. them. They feel like they're having a part in in creating this ritual, and then they own the ritual. Exactly. Then they'll want to hand it down. Exactly. Good stuff, Doc, Dr. David Dalahite, BYU professor for family life. You can find his book, Successful Marriage and family. Is that, where can they find it? Uh, online at Amazon. But it's actually edited by Alan Hawkins, myself, and Tom Draper. Yeah, so Successful Marriage Family Life by Hawkins, Dalahite, and, uh, and Draper. Appreciate it. Appreciate the learning. Traditions, they're essential to our lives, to our families, building a healthy, happy uh, family and traditions. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more about family uh, and Christmas right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Do you want to hear all your favorite BYU radio shows while you're on the go? Now you can. BYU Radio's free iPhone app places all the BYU radio programming at your fingertips through your iPhone or iPod. Enjoy all your favorites at the touch of a button. Download your free iPhone app on the Apple Store now. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 
Police were forced to pepper spray troublemakers to defuse 10,000 angry protesters outside the Michigan Capitol building today after the state legislature passed a measure to make the home of the U.S. auto industry the 24th right-to-work state. Progress is still slow on reaching a deal to avoid the fiscal cliff. House Speaker John Boehner says the president needs to get more specific about spending cuts. Accused killer George Zimmerman was denied his request to have a GPS monitor removed, which would have let him move freely about the state until his trial next June. The Treasury Department is selling off their remaining stake in AIG, which was 92 percent owned by the government at the beginning of last year. Combined government agencies earned over $22 billion off the bailout aid program. The ex-NFL commissioner has rescinded penalties against New Orleans Saints players who took part in a bounty system, which offered players cash rewards for injuring opposing teams. Clashes in Egypt are heating up. Nine were injured today when masked gunmen threw gas bombs and opened fire on protesters who are, who are opposed to President Mohamed Morsi. A suicide note has been frowned from the nurse who supposedly killed herself after connecting two radio pranksters to Kate Middleton's private nurse. So far, no word on what it says. Egypt's biggest, Europe's biggest bank, excuse me, HSBC, has admitted to wrongdoing and agreed to pay a fine of nearly $2 billion to settle a U.S. probe into a money laundering operation. And that's your news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about your holiday traditions. We just talked to Dr. Dalahite about uh, the importance of these traditions. And now, who better to follow up the great doctor than Bryce Tobin? And uh, Bryce Tobin asks, you know, your, your traditions never change, right? You sure about that? Well, Bryce has some thoughts for us on holiday traditions that he would just love to share with you. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Isn't it nice to get together for a traditional Christmas Hanukkah-mas? You know, the wonderful traditions like getting together around the scraggly-looking Christmas tree that you went up to the mountains to cut down. Oh, wait, you didn't do that? What's that? Most of us don't live anywhere near pine trees and it's really not feasible? Well, just like the pilgrims, you can go to the local grocery store and pick up a full and lush, healthy-looking tree that was grown on a farm. Or you could even do it like the olden days and have your plastic tree shipped from China, with lights preloaded, of course. While 9 out of 10 gifts laid underneath the tree were on a cargo ship leaving Beihai Port just a month ago. Wrapping paper also falls into this category. You've got a nice nativity set there. Turn it over. It'll say made in China. What about your Christmas dinner? What plates do you get out? Why you get out the fine china? Now, I'm not actually sure if this is made in China, but the name is there, so it's kind of like China's taking credit for it anyway. Not into Christmas trees? Well, you can order your menorah from, you guessed it, the very productive country of China. And then you can light the candles in the traditional manner with your butane cigarette lighter that you bought in a three-pack at the gas station, also made in China. Maybe you'll go a little over the top and get one one of those longer grill lighters. You don't want to burn your fingers. Or if you really want to go old school, you could use some wooden matches. And if you're sick of doing things like grandma by dipping strings and paraffin wax over and over again to make candles for your menorah, and aren't we all, you could buy the classic electric menorah, also shipped from China. You'll feel in touch with your heritage every time you turn on one of those plastic light bulbs with a reverent 90-degree twist. 
Or what if Kwanzaa is more your style? Well, I did find an entire Kwanzaa set that was made in Ghana. Upon further investigation, the set is only assembled in Ghana. All the pieces, the chalice, stand, mat, candles, and assorted decorations were all made in China. Ah, so close! So, does anyone else see it? Because I'm trying to point out how, number one, the methods of these traditions aren't very consistent. The meaning behind them seems to stay the same, but that doesn't seem to be what gets the most attention. And second, it seems like many of these traditions are somehow being monetized. So, as far as I can tell, the only consistent Christmas tradition is letting China cash in on our traditions. And they don't even celebrate Christmas. Or do they? Well played, China. Well played. Alright, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Wow, you really took us on a trip there. I, tr- I tried to a cover... A trip to China. ...all of the Christmahana Kwanzaakamas. Wow. I don't know. How come you always bring up the... Toe dirt, what's it called? Uh, toe chicken derky. Turducken? Turducken. How come you do stuff like that? How come you like blending everything? Why can't I just have my good old American Christmas? Christmas? Cause there's Why'd you have to point all that stuff out? Because there's more stuff out there. And I, there's, I really don't like... You're angry. Well, yes. Uh, but I really don't like this whatever whatever centric view of anything on life. Like you, like we have a very amerocentric Ooh. view on stuff. It's yeah. all very American and that's just you like a, to mix it up is what you're saying. I, you know what? There's more people than just whatever well, group you're. It's not like okay, you like for example, let's say you have a Christmas dinner. It's not you need a, you need a, an amerocentric dinner. You don't go get, I don't know, Mexican food for Christmas. Oh wait, do we, Matt? Because <laughs> oh, somebody does. because someone does. Yeah, I don't know why, but my weird family will get like a hundred taquitos. Do you know where taquitos and, come from? Uh, would that be China? China? I don't know if that's true. I actually, don't think so that doesn't seem like their style. No, but you know what? If they could make it cheaper and they could sell it to us, I'm pretty sure China would. And get it over here without ruining, yeah. without without it going bad. Uh, they would. For sure. Um, so your and, family celebrates their big tradition is taquito night. Yeah, and tamales, and we just eat that. Oh, that sounds Christmas really cool. Eve and Christmas Day. A lot of people go get Chinese. Yes, that's you can't beat that. That's always delicious. What do you do, Skyboy, on Christmas? Yeah, um, What's your Christmas Eve celebration. So Christmas. So for Christmas, this is how our family usually does it. We each draw somebody's name in our family, and then we get that person a gift. And then Christmas Eve, we get one gift before... Your pajamas. Usually pajamas, except I don't think I get those anymore. Oh, I'm sure you do. Little footsie ones. No, I don't get any. Onesie. <laughs> a footy onesie. Those are great. And then when great. we open presents on Christmas Day, I think we start with the youngest and we each like to You guys line up? Out. We line our kids up. We For... don't line up, but like usually my sisters like dive in and like hand us each our presents and they, they open theirs first because they're younger and then we go up to the oldest. Cute. Yeah, we call then, it the death march because we line our kids up by age, and so the old kids feel like it's death because they don't, you know, they're end of the line. <laughs> and then we film it. You got to film it because we want evidence that we gave them stuff. Yeah, we actually go in and film everything we bought. And when it comes to teenagers, it's good to it's good to have photographic evidence of yeah. them smiling, uh-huh. so that you can say, "Hey, I, I know you know how yeah. to do this." And don't say I didn't give you anything because right. I bought you an iPod, and you see there there you are receiving it. <laughs> See, those are that's what you'll get this, you guys. When you're parents, you really you have to document stuff. It's okay. not just for insurance purposes. It's for it's guilt to, trips. It's for guilt trips. It's to quiet your child when they start to whine. Hmm. Yeah. 
sounds kind of negative, but it's really not. It's just trying to stay alive. Ty, you got any uh, you got any fun stuff going on? Yeah. So what my family does is we always get a family movie every Christmas. Ooh. And and the reason why is because when I was like three, um, I was opening up my Christmas presents, and my mom realized that she forgot to wrap like The Lion King or whatever the movie was yeah. that I was going to get for Christmas. So my dad goes upstairs, he wraps it, and he hides it in the tree. So like two hours later, I'm playing with my toys, and my mom goes, oh, Tyler, like, look in the tree. What's this? There's a movie. <laughs> so the next year, uh, we're driving, and I'm talking to my little sister, who is one or two, and I'm explaining to her what happens at Christmas. And uh, I said that Santa Claus always puts a movie in the tree. And my parents look at each other, Uh-oh. and they realize that they just started a tradition. <laughs> Isn't that and so interesting? So every, every Christmas since then, we've had some sort of movie. Do you remember what last year's was? Because oh, you're a little older. I was, I was in Germany last year. Okay. I wasn't with my family. That's right. So it was probably like a German one, Christmas. Yeah. It was the, a great movie. Last one I remember was the uh, Spider-Man trilogy. Yes. That's what we got. That was three years Santa's ago. Santa's rocking it. Yeah. Wow. I'm Robbie, excited for this year. Uh, what do you, you you know what movie you're going to get? No idea. I mean, well, yeah, Santa, you don't you can't tip Santa's hand. Rob, what you got for us? Doritos in a bowl. Explain. <laughs> that's that's kind of beautiful. That really is. And it brought a tear. It's interesting to how the li- the little traditions are the best ones of all. Your Simply mom put, just what, uh, we didn't intend to make that a family tree? tradition. One year there were Doritos in a bowl, and you kind of created a gathering place of sorts what so what, we did it again the next what kind year of doritos? but didn't even know it was a tradition and we just kept doing it do you leave doritos out for santa no um and the problem is santa's getting pickier as santa gets older santa's santa also gaining weight doesn't like milk and cookies <laughs> anymore now santa wants Steak. celery sticks and other yeah health foods and weird bread that doesn't contain wheat that's not yet. That may be Santa's uh, predecessor in another twenty years, but uh, a little helper. Because um, that's that's a, okay. A bowl. You're, that's actually true, though. If we just bring chips, that's why you bring chips. So when we do our little pre-show, you can't tell our secrets before and after the show. It reminds me of Christmas. You just bring a bag of chips, and you're the happiest guy I've ever seen. Ment- positive mental associations are fantastic. Holy just got to keep them cheap. We don't have these traditions. We just sing songs. We just pretty much follow Dr. Dollahite's advice. You wait, you sing songs? Uh-huh. We have a we have yeah, a talent. We actually night. we started we started Christmas caroling in our family. Yeah, we don't do that. That's we, and then we like That's humiliating. Yeah. It really is. That, that there family. was a there was a push for that. And then my yeah. sister married a guy who did a whole lot of choirs and stuff. And so there was another push for that. Yeah, you got to stop but that. But I'm like Tamp that down. Right? I, you know, well, you I, know, I hedge that off. Nowadays, you can get killed doing that, right? You know what I mean. Someone can bust a cap while you're singing. Well, we, we the usually carols. go to people's houses. We know, oh. and so we'll you take, bother like, we'll your take, friends. Like, yeah, we yeah. bother. <laughs> really hey, we bothering. know you guys had a bunch of stuff planned Especially tonight. With, but you got with the way that my dad and mom sing. It's do it's they, a bother. Do they sing? Oh, they don't sing. <laughs> they so don't well. sing. <laughs> See, we don't do caroling. We just sing as a family. We have a talent show. All the kids get up and sing something. They don't, no one sings anything, but. Uh, one and then my mom always makes it. My single mom always makes us sing. Uh, I caught mom kissing Santa Claus. Don't know what that's about, but um, it's just weird. And then my other sister sings. Um, oh, what is it? It's Fiddler on the Roof. What? She only knows one song. Sunrise, Fiddler sunset. Fiddler on the roof. No. And oh. I don't even remember what it is. But it, she plays it every year, and she only knows literally like. 
three bars of it. If I was a rich man. Yeah, something like that. And we do that, and then we all laugh at the same joke. But you know what? It's symbolic, and she does it, and she's great. And then we go eat, and we eat, and we eat, and then we eat. I sense a theme there. Oh, and we do. Oh, no, we do the Christmas story. We do that. And to understand, you have to do a glimpse into. Those of us who are practicing Mormons, we don't drink. No. Yeah, so, so what, what do you replace do? drink food. with at the holidays? Hello. More food. Movies. Food. Chips. Chocolate. Ice cream. Food, chocolate, and caroling for Skyboy. If that's what you want to call it. I don't know if it... Are you taking your guitar this time? Yeah, they always make me take my guitar. Like Peter, Paul, and Mary. That would be great. <laughs> I mean, that just brings back a lot of cool yeah. feelings. Holidays. Tradition. You want to hear a cool tradition from my parents? So my parents divorced. I don't know if I told you guys. You guys know that. My parents divorced when I was eight. But every uh, morning, Christmas morning, my dad would show up. That's actually when I saw Santa Claus's sleigh. I went out to get something with my dad out of his car, and I looked on my roof, and I saw the sleigh marks and the hoof marks. True story. And um, But every morning, Christmas morning, my dad, even though my parents were divorced for years, would still show up at our house and we would have Christmas. And my mom made him breakfast and my grandma was there. So there's a tradition of peace. That's that good cool? on them for and playing nice. And it was good nice. for the kids. And it, honestly, it was, the, it was the only time a year that my dad was in my Christmas – I mean like in the family. We'd sit down and have dinner and my mom was there. It was really cool. And his mother was there. Every year for years. I don't even know how long it happened. Does it still happen or? No. No? He's married. Okay, well. That would be awkward. But it was a cool thing. So if you're out there and you're divorced, you know, make sure you make an effort, right? Comes back to the civility we were talking about earlier. See, the show's always full circle because it's always about humans. And we're just running around in circles. And think about the rest of us when you want to go caroling. It's not civil. Consider the children. It really is beautiful. I mean, but I think that's <laughs> something that used to work. I, I think that's, yeah, it's a different culture. Maybe I, it works. It just seems really, I don't, like when you're singing to me, I don't know what to do. Exactly. Do I, I smile? I've, do I sing with you, I guess? Yeah. Do we look in each other's eyes? Where do we look? <laughs> it's like standing on the elevator when you turn around and you're looking at everybody. It's really awkward. But, you're, but imagine on the elevator you just started singing. <laughs> See? You'd get hauled off. Off to the loony bin. Off to the loony bin with ya. Well, we're going to come back. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna, we have got a treat for you. We are going to have a little bit of Walter Cronkite, a little bit of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, as Walter Cronkite teaches us a story that I believe we're calling The Truce. We'll be back right here on The Matt Townsend Show, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. What's up over the South 40? New federal rules are making micro-surveys with small aerial drones practical. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Aerial and satellite photography are well-established methods of surveying land and doing scientific research, but they remain somewhat expensive thanks to new, more favorable federal regulations. A new niche in affordable aerial data gathering is opening up to remote-controlled drones used for non-military civilian purposes. One such operation is the Aggie Air Flying Circus. 
The lab specializes in making assessments of rivers, farmland, and watersheds based on quality data gathering. But a full-scale airplane or helicopter isn't usually in their budget, neither is satellite data. But data from satellites tend to cover larger areas than what the lab wants to study anyway. What is affordable to the lab, however, is a customized remote-controlled airplane carrying multispectral sensors. The drone is mostly built with economical off-the-shelf hobby components. Their sensor drone can launch from anywhere in the field. It's kept on course by an onboard autopilot as it flies slower and at lower altitudes than the big UAVs. That makes the aircraft ideal for getting the close-up pictures the lab needs for their research and consulting needs. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we've been talking about traditions, about our own traditions with the holidays, uh, our disdain for some of us of caroling, and um, the importance of getting together, spending some time, and making a tradition with our family where we can get our faith involved and touch on the most profound you know, spiritual things we believe in, share it with our family, and, and share it in a way that maybe it's something that can last forever, that this is a tradition that gets handed down. And because of that, one of the traditions that uh, we have around here in Utah is they have an event with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir once a year where the choir involves brings in a special guest um, speaker and a singer, usually a really uh, strong performer, and they, they put together a great program. Well, a few years ago, they brought in Walter Cronkite. And during that time, Walter Cronkite uh, shared a story called Silent Night, Holy Night, the 1914 Christmas Truce. And just as a gift from the Matt Townsend Show, we wanted to share his story with you about what took place during a war in 1914. The 1900s, the final century of the recent millennium, brought unprecedented possibilities and promise. The children of these hundred years would see more improvement in the human condition than ever before in the world's history. Advances in medicine, science, and industry would all but eradicate disease, extend human life, open a dialogue among the peoples of the earth and lift them into the vast reaches of space. But these hardly seemed like possibilities as the Christmas of 1914 drew near. The nations of Europe were at war. Anxious to expand and defend their borders, they summoned their best and brightest to the battlefront. Young men answered by the millions. A 19-year-old German boy left his job in London to enlist in the German army. English boys working and studying in Hamburg and Paris returned to London, put on their uniforms, and went back to fire upon former friends. Secretary of War Lord Kitchener expanded the British Army overnight by allowing schoolmates to enlist together. The tragedy of these battalions was no more evident than at Somme, France. Hundreds of villages on both sides lost almost all of their young men in a single battle. The little playbook that every British soldier carried included a last will and testament. Thousands of these booklets were 
collected from the bodies of young boys, many reading simply, I leave everything to my mother. With hardly a backward glance, the promise of youth was poured into the blind and futile aggression known as the Great War, World War I. The new century brought a new kind of warfare. Field commanders quickly realized that digging in was the only way to survive the sweep of machine gun fire. The German army had marched across Belgium before being stopped at Flanders Field. Some 60 yards away, British, French, and Belgian troops languished in trenches infested with rats and lice, pelted with freezing rain and shrapnel. As temperatures dropped, disease took hold. Snipers picked off those who raised their heads above the earthen wall. The war was but four months old, each side losing thousands a day, both to bullets and that silent common enemy, influenza. Between the opposing trenches was an area about the width of a football field, no man's land. Littered with barbed wire and frozen corpses, it was a sobering reminder of what the future might bring. Soldiers who survived later recalled their brothers being gathered up and stacked like cords of wood. By war's end, more than 10 million would be lost. Not surprisingly, given the circumstances, most of the soldiers were religious, and many were Christian. On Sundays, communion was passed in trenches on both sides, often to the sound of church bells ringing in nearby villages. The occasional hymn was sung, and youthful voices were heard across enemy lines. By December, the war slowed, and hopes for a quick resolution faded away. As the soldiers contemplated their desperate situation, nights grew long and hearts yearned for peace. December 23rd, a group of German soldiers quietly moved to the ruins of a bombed-out monastery. There they held their Christmas service. Later on that night, a few Christmas trees, tannenbaums as they were called, began to appear along the German fortifications. Their tiny candles flickering in the night. Across the way, British soldiers took an interest in those lights as they sang together the carols of their youth. Word spread and heads peeked cautiously over sandbags at the now thousands of tannenbaums glowing like Christmas stars. Two British officers ventured over to the German line and, against orders, arranged a Christmas truce. But the negotiation was a mere formality by then. Up and down the trenches, men from both sides already had begun crossing the line to join in the celebration. Lieutenant Sir Edward Hulse assaulted the enemy with music. In a letter to his mother, he wrote, We are going to give the enemy every conceivable song from carols to Tipperary. The Germans responded with a Christmas concert of their own. It was not long before the cold air rang with everything from good King Wenceslas to Auld Lang Syne. For the next two days, those tidings continued to spring from the hearts of common men who shared the common bond of Christmas. Further down the line, a German violinist stood atop his parapet, 
framed against the skeletons of bare trees and shattered fortifications, delicately perched in this desolate landscape, his cold fingers conveyed the poignant beauty of Handel's Largo. Whatever the spirit of Christmas had been before that hour, it was now, above all, the spirit of hope, of peace. A British war correspondent reported that later the soldiers heard a clear voice singing the beloved French carol, O Holy Night. The singer, Victor Granier of the Paris Opera. The night watch must have lifted their eyes toward the heavens as they heard his plaintive call. Christmas Day dawned over the muddy fields, and both sides cautiously picked their way through the barbed wire. Side by side, they buried their dead. A German officer known only as Thomas gave Lieutenant Hulse a Christmas gift, a Victoria Cross and letter which had belonged to an English captain. Lieutenant Hulse responded by giving the German officer his silk scarf. One German retrieved a photograph of himself in uniform and asked his former enemies to post it to his sister in Liverpool. Men who had shot at each other only days before gathered in a sacred service for their fallen brothers. Prayers were offered and the 23rd Psalm was read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Nineteen-year-old Arthur Pelham Byrne, who hoped to study for the ministry after the war ended, remembered the Germans formed up on one side, the English on the other, the officers standing in front, every head bared. Yes, I think it is a sight one will never see again. As the Christmas of 1914 drew to a close, soldiers who had sung together, played together, and prayed together returned to their trenches. They must have felt reluctant to let the common ground between them become no man's land again. But even as the darkness fell around them, a lone voice floated across the few yards of earth on which they had stood together. In the true spirit of Christmas, one voice, then another, joined in, and soon the whole world seemed to be singing. And for a brief moment, the sound of peace was a carol every soul knew by heart.
And that's the way it was one Christmas almost a hundred years ago. And that's the way it can be as we embrace the message of that silent, holy night. <laughs>